In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. It's good to be home. Good morning. Although I still haven't quite figured out why it is that when I return to Santa Barbara from the stormy, muddy, moldy places that I go, the minute I step off the plane, my allergies kick in. You know, here we are in the land of 70-degree perfection, but yet, you know, here it is that my allergies kick in. So um, perhaps I'm allergic to something else. I don't know. But um, also when I get off the plane, there's, um, there's an old song that runs through my mind that, um, that I've kind of paraphrased, and it's, uh, Home Sings Me of Sweet Things. My life here has its own wing, though I may fly away over the mountain, though I'm standing still. Here we, um, we have home, and it is good to be home. Again, this morning we have one of the many parables of the Lord. Uh, there are about 30 of them in the Gospels. And each one of them, each one of these parables, is a story that Jesus himself is telling. And he usually starts the story um, by something like, uh, the kingdom is light, dot, dot, dot. And then he proceeds to tell a story that in, in some way tells us what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is light. You know, one thing we know for sure is that the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of the world, in case you haven't noticed. The kingdom of God has a different king, and the king tells us different stories from those that the kingdom of this world tells us. So when our king is telling us a story, we really ought to listen up, because in it we are going to learn something of him, and something of his kingdom. The parables are not shouted to us by talking heads arguing on television. The parables come to us in the still, small voice of the gospel. The parables come to us in deep places of our heart. And I would submit to you that the hearing of the parables the listening to the parables, the learning from the parables, is an antidote to the damage that is done to our souls by the mind-numbing propaganda of this world. And make no mistake, that which is shouted at you is meant to numb not just your mind, but your heart and your soul. And what is whispered to you in the Gospels is meant to strengthen that. And that is why today we have a parable. But one of my many troubles in this life, and I do have so many that have been not only observed in myself, but observed by others and told to me. One of my many difficulties is that when I hear a parable my mind starts writing other people into the story. Now, I hope none of you have ever had a tendency to do that, where you start saying, oh, rocky soil, oh, that's, 
so-and-so. Oh, yeah, the one who got gobbled up by the birds. Oh, yeah, that's so-and-so over there. And, of course, I'm the fruitful soil which bears hundredfold. So we, 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 we first of all write others into the story before we examine ourselves. But the parables always have a cutting edge that is aimed at me, that is aimed at my heart. And if I miss that, I miss the benefit by judging another. When we are in the grip of judging others, we miss the work that we need to do on ourselves. Does that make sense? It is that bright, shiny object, to put it in cultural terms familiar to some, it is that bright, shiny object that dazzles us over here and distracts us from the important thing. And what is the important thing? The important thing is here. Your heart. That is the important thing. So when we're in the grip of looking at the bright, shiny object and judging another, we aren't looking at ourselves. What can I hear in this parable that converts my heart? This parable I submit to you is, and forgive the word, the, this parable is basic as dirt. It's basic as dirt. It is just that simple. That's what this parable starts with. Any of you who have put a lot of time into the garden, and I know Father Nicholas's stories, and I, and I know mine from when I was young enough to bend over to work in the garden, which is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But if you've put time in the garden, you can be able to relate to the simple joy of good dirt, of good dirt. Have you ever picked up a handful of good soil, dark, crumbly, loam soil that's rich with compost and maybe has a big, fat, red earthworm crawling in it? And have you smelled that earth? And as you smell that earth, you, it's so alive. It's so alive with all the promise of creation, that dirt, that basic element of the earth. It is so alive that you can almost taste the corn and the peppers and the strawberries that are going to grow in it. That's what good dirt does. Good dirt holds promise. Good dirt encourages us that creation and recreation can happen. But good, fertile dirt doesn't just happen. The gardener, the farmer, the farmer whose ground it is works it, cultivates it, nourishes it, cherishes it. And in this, the gardener cooperates with God. God put us in a garden in the first place. And we were meant to cooperate with, with that which he has given, to cultivate it. Our God sends sunshine and he sends rain. But there is a synergism that happens in the garden where we take what he has sent, where we take what he has given 
and we work upon it. We work upon it to cultivate it and to bring forth much fruit. As I read the Holy Fathers who have commented on the parable of the sower, I, be, I became convicted that I have been sloppy with this work in my own life. Many times my heart has been hard as rocky soil, as that caliche that we have here in Santa Barbara that is impenetrable, that is just adobe hard. My heart has been like that. Many times I have let the cares of the world entangle me like thorny weeds. And worse yet, not much time have I given to cultivating this small plot right here. This small plot. This small plot that is the one place in all of the universe that I am truly responsible for. We are responsible for that small plot that is our heart. We are responsible to receive it, to cultivate it, and to bear fruit there. If it's hard, if the weeds choke it, if there's no fence around it to guard it, then it's nobody's fault but my own because that's the one plot in the whole of creation that I am responsible for. And if it does not produce, it ain't nobody's fault but mine. Take responsibility for that. Am I barren ground? Woe to me. How can I ever bear fruit? How can I de ever deliver on the promise of that which has been given to me if I don't cultivate it? When I see the, this failure about myself, do I then add despair to it? Do I then become despondent about it, which in a sense handicaps you from doing anything about it? Don't. Do not despair. Do I accept the hardness of my heart, the thorns, as if they were somehow a predetermined condition of my nature? The time for me to say, John Stevens got to be John Stevens, is no more. The older I get, the more I become aware that I can no longer say, John Stevens got to be John Stevens. It's just what he is. You know, I'm not really responsible for it. It's just what I got to be. It's the hand that got dealt to me. I've got to work on it with whatever time remains. Do I take up the struggle of cultivation? Can I do my part, relying on the grace of God to change the condition of my heart? Bishop Dimitri, who many of us were blessed to have known here in this community, uh, Bishop Dimitri, who encouraged us on our journey toward orthodoxy, now Saint Dimitri of blessed memory, in his commentary on this parable, which I would commend to all of you, he asked why the sower would sow his seed where he knew that it would bear no fruit. He answered his question with a reference to St. John Chrysostom. When the Lord sows the seed of his gospel, 
He makes no distinction between rich or poor, between wise or unwise, between slothful and diligent, between brave and cowardly. He does this because each of us can change. Each of us can repent and be converted. While it is impossible for the rock to become earth, or the wayside not to be wayside, or the thorns to be not to be thorns, with man this is not so. That is not so. In them, it is possible for the rock to change. In you, it is possible for your rock to change to earth, to become rich land, and for your wayside no longer to be trampled upon. Has your wayside been trampled upon? Have the birds of the, the air come and eaten up what should have been a harvest, it is possible for you to change. It is possible for us no longer to lie as an open field, but to become a fertile field that the thorns may be destroyed and so that the seeds may enjoy full security. Full security. Full security in this bigger garden. Your little garden has been placed in a bigger garden. And in that bigger garden, there is full security. We can change here. We are not doomed to be rocky soil. We are not doomed to let the birds come and devour us. We are not doomed to be led about. We are doomed, we are commanded to change. We can change not because of some cheerleading from some crazy priest. We can change, not because of some power of positive thinking, but we can change because of the work of Christ in our life. We can change because he can break up the hardness of our heart. We can cultivate the ground and prepare it for the gospel seed. But what's it take? What do you got to do? Is this magic? Do you just show up? It takes repentance. It takes the water of many tears to grow a crop where there has been a desert. The desert has to be irrigated. You can irrigate the desert of your dry heart by your tears. The whole creation is watching and waiting for us to do this. All of creation watches and waits for us to take up this responsibility and not just stand back and go, well, you know, John Stevens got to be John Stevens. He's a bad boy, has been since he was a kid. You know, a couple folks here actually remember. He's been a bad boy since he was a little boy. Not going to change much. And in some things, I probably won't change much. But the soil will at least be broken up and receptive. Am I up for doing my part in this? Bishop Dimitri said with force, it behooves all of us who seek to follow Christ to clear the ground of our souls, 
to take seriously the experience of the saints who tell us how to deepen our faith by prayer, fasting, and good works. And there's the prescription, prayer, fasting, good works. And to be convinced that it is impossible, impossible, to lead a double, a double life of service to God and service to the idols of this world. Then we, too, can be described as ground that has brought forth much fruit. And the fruit we will bear, I mean, harvest day is a time of joy. I mean, up in San Inez, when the grape harvest comes in, I mean, it's a party. When the harvest comes in, it is a party, a party of joy. And we lift up this gift of, of the harvest that's been given to us. We lift it back up to God. That is the work that we were created to do, to bring forth that harvest and to give it back to God. Cultivate the soil of your heart by prayer, fasting, and good works. Prepare it for the seed of the gospel and rely on Christ to bring forth the harvest in your life. And that would be to the glory of God the Father.